Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome back to New Books and Political Science. As I mentioned, I'm speaking today with uh, Hari Han, who's the author of How Organizations Develop Activists, Civic Associations, and Leadership in the 21st Century. Hari, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to have you on. Um, as maybe we talked about at some point by email in the past, this is a subject uh, I think everyone is going to be interested in, but I am particularly interested. So I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Before we get to your interesting book, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself, uh, where you are, uh, uh, what you're doing outside of the writing of this book? Sure. Um, So I right now am an associate professor of political science at Wellesley College. Um, I've been here for about 10 years and um, I'm also um, co-director of a civic engagement working group with the Scholars Strategy Network um, and have been doing a lot of work thinking about how scholars can make their work more relevant to a wide range of public audiences. Um, part of the reason why I'm interested in that kind of work is because I really came to political science um, through work that I did in politics. And so before going to graduate school, I worked in politics for a few years on a few political campaigns and have continued throughout my career to try to do work that um, has relevance both for some of the theoretical questions that political scientists are interested in, but also the practical questions that um, different political players might be confronting in their own work. Well, your writing of the book shows um, both your background, um, but also these ambitions. It's, it's a book that is, um, is, is quite readable in addition to being well-researched and, and uh, theoretically important. Oh, well, thank so, you. Um, yeah, I think this is something that, that, that will have lots of audiences, and, and, I, and I hope that people read it, not just political scientists, uh, but others, because I think there's a lot that, that uh, we can learn from this. So let's talk about the book. Sure. Um, the book is about activism. Yep. Um, but but just this term is a tricky one. Mm-hmm. So how do you define the term activism in, in your book? It's a good question, because I think when you say activist, um, both academics and non-academics have all sorts of images that come up in their minds. Um, what I'm really talking about in the book are um, people that engage in some kind of political activity that is intensive in some form. And so there are a couple dimensions of that definition that I want to highlight. So first of all, I'm talking about people that actually engage in activity. So I'm not looking at people who just read the newspaper or have opinions about an issue, but these are people that actually take some kind of action. Um, And secondly, it's action that is political. And what I mean by political is that there is some dimension along which it um, is related to our civic or political life, right? So I'm not looking just at people that um, get involved in a soccer association, but then nothing beyond that, you know, unless that soccer association might down the road lead them to be involved in their community in different ways. Um, But the the third piece about it is this question of, um, you know, activity that's actually intensive. So I want to look at this question not only of why might someone click a button once or show up to a meeting once, but why do they keep coming back? You know, what are the things that make some people more likely to continue to read the emails that they receive and respond to them um, 
or continue to come back to meetings again and again, where, whereas other people come once or never come at all. You know, you, you mentioned sort of these varied views of, of what an activist is. Uh, I've always imagined that people think of activists a little bit like opera singers. Um, <laughs> that, you, you know, there are opera singers and there are the rest of us and, and there are activists uh, and then there are uh, other people. Um, you seem to suggest that, that um, activists uh, may not work quite like that. Um, so uh, can a non-activist be turned into an activist? Is that, is, do you um, argue that there is this shift in some people? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I love the analogy of the opera singers because I think there is this implicit sense sometimes that activists are born and not made. You know, some people are just born with that um, predilection towards mass protest in the streets and some people aren't. And part of what I found in doing my research is that that's just not true. That, in fact, what happens is that there are all sorts of ways in which um, different experiences that we have in our lives shape whether or not we're going to engage in the kind of political activity that I'm talking about. And one way to think about it is that I think a lot of people um, would instinctively understand that, you know, sometimes when you're young, you might have a role model um, or a teacher or, or maybe even a parent who is really politically active and then and begins to shape your own um, proclivities towards that kind of action. But I think what the book focuses on and what we forget is that there are lots of other spaces outside the home and outside the classroom where that can happen. And the spaces that I'm particularly interested in are, are in what I, what I call these civic associations. Right? And these are organizations ranging from things like the Sierra Club to the NRA to Common Cause and the League of Women Voters and MoveOn.org and Organizing for America and the Tea Party, all these different organizations that try in different ways to bring people together around collective action. And part of what I try to argue in the book is that a big part of what they do is not only get people to show up for events, but that they transform their capacity, their motivation, their interest in engaging in the different forms of political activism that I'm studying. Now, one of the ways, one of the, one of the images that you use in the book to explain this is the activist ladder. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you explain to us what the activist ladder actually is, because it kind of helps, uh, it would help to imagine how this works with this, with this image that you, you use. Yeah, the um, activist ladder, you know, I, I, I can't take credit for it because really, you know, in the organizations that I was studying, this is something that was really common um, within the organizations that I studied. And I should say more broadly that in a lot of the work that I do, I end up working with a wide range of different kinds of political organizations that are interested in um, building up their activist base. And I found that this activist ladder is pretty universal across a range of different kinds of organizations, even those that weren't necessarily included in the study. And what it is is kind of this mental model that organizations have in their head about the different levels of activism that they want people to engage in. So at the very bottom of the ladder, ladder are people who do nothing more than affiliate with the organization. And I think we all probably have experienced that in some way in our own lives where maybe we'll get on an email list. Maybe we will um, go to one event. Maybe we'll somehow affiliate, you know, even pay dues for an organization. But then we don't do anything beyond that. Right. So these are like the people that pay thirty five dollars a year to join the Sierra Club, but then don't do anything beyond um, pay that thirty five dollars. But beyond that, above that level are people who are willing to not only affiliate with the organization, but also dedicate certain amounts of time to the organization. And so these are people who will say, you know what, 
I'll I'll click on the links that you send me, and like, I'll read my emails, and I'll click on the links that you send me. You know, I'll show up to your office one hour a week and stuff envelopes. Like, I'll give you certain amounts of time in order to support the goals of the organization, but they don't actually take any responsibility for outcomes. So maybe I'll show up to the office for an hour and I'll stuff envelopes, and if I get a hundred done, that's great, and if I get two hundred done, that's great. But whatever happens, I'm only there for an hour. Um, the next ladder up, the next rung up on the activist ladder are people that don't just give certain amounts of time, but they're willing to take responsibility for outcomes. So these are people who will say, you know what, I'll get 100 people to this event. So it doesn't matter if it takes me um, 10 phone calls to get 100 people or if it takes me um, two weeks of going door to door before I can get 100 people to show up at the event. Like I'll take responsibility for an actual outcome um, that uh, that matters to the organization. And at the very top of the activist ladder are people that not only take responsibility for outcomes in the way that I just described, but also take responsibility for cultivating leadership or willingness to get involved in other people. So these are the ones that are developing other leaders for the organization, not just working on fulfilling their own commitments. You know, I, I think one of the things that makes your book so interesting is, is, is not just these ideas that you sort of have put forth, which I, I, which I think are very interesting. But I think what really makes the book interesting is, is what you then do with these ideas, um, because you don't just sort of leave this as just a couple of propositions. You're actually trying to test this as a social scientist. So what were the methods that you used? Um, because these are, you know, these are so, this, this idea of this ladder seems kind of intuitive, but from a measurement standpoint, it's really tricky um, it's, uh, because a lot of people would say, well, of course, we're trying to transform people into activists. Um, we're not just interested in them showing up uh, to, to stuff envelopes. Um, so, so how do you approach this as a social scientist? Um, what did you try to measure? Uh, who are you focused on? And, and so how did you explore this? Yeah. So, you know, one thing that's interesting is that I, I have this conversation with a lot of people where they say, well, of course, organizations are trying to transform people into activists. But in truth, I don't think I think there are a lot of organizations that actually aren't. And they're not because I think they're not sure if the resources that it would take for them to do so are worth the payoff that it can potentially provide. So this is kind of a roundabout way of answering your question. But, you know, I want to start by just talking about what actually got me interested in this project. I think that'll bring me around to how I came at the methods that I ended up choosing. Great. Um, and so part of what really got me interested was. You know, I was, I was talking to a lot of organizations and also, you know, studying questions about civic engagement and political participation as a political scientist. And what I found was that there are a lot of organizations out there who felt like they simply weren't able to engage the breadth and depth of people that they wanted, right? They all knew that they wanted, you know, a lot of activists, and then they wanted also a subset of those activists to be really deeply engaged. And they all were struggling to find the activists that they felt like they needed to win the goals, the, uh, the policy and political goals that they wanted to win. And but at the same time, you know, there's all this conversation going on out there in the world about how the 21st century is bringing on this new a new age of engagement where all of a sudden, you know, the tools of the Internet are bringing democracy back to the people. And we saw things like the Arab Spring and Occupy Wall Street that seemed to be almost spon like spontaneous uprisings of people coming together. And I think it was a juxtaposition of those two things that made me think about, well, you know, what's really going on, right? Is it easier than ever to get people engaged or 
you know, oh, sorry, I guess one way to think about it is if it is easier than ever to get people engaged, and why are so many organizations out there struggling to do so? Mm-hmm. And from a theoretical standpoint in political science, I think, you know, one of the things that we were realizing is that a lot of the models that we had for what motivates people to get involved were somewhat outdated in a sense um, because they didn't necessarily account for all the contextual changes that we were that we were seeing. So what I decided to do in this study was go around and identify organiza- identify organizations that were really good at getting people involved and try to figure out what makes them different from organizations that are not good at getting people involved. And of course, anyone who hears me say that, the first thing they're going to ask is, well, how can you compare organizations to each other because they're also different from each other? And so what I, the strategy that I used to do that was to identify um, what political scientists call federated organizations, right? These are organizations mm-hmm. that have national, state, and local chapters so that the local chapters um, are all working within the same issue context. They're working on similar issues because they're all part of the same organization. They're all part of the same organizational context. But, you know, a lot of these organizations, they have a lot, the local chapters have a lot of independence, and so they differ a lot in terms of how well they're able to engage activists. And so what I did was identified matched pairs of these local organizations within two national organizations working on health and environmental politics. And in matching the pairs with each other, I tried to match them along um, things like, you know, how similar are the communities that they're working in to each other, right? I don't want to compare San Francisco, California to Montgomery, Alabama, because, of course, what it means to engage activism in San Francisco is really different than what it means in Alabama. And so what I've tried to do is find communities that were really similar to each other, but had local organizations that really differed in terms of how well they were able to get people involved. And I spent two years um, studying these organizations. I did surveys and interviews and all sorts of observations to try to understand what really differentiated the what I call the high engagement organizations from the low engagement organizations. And then um, from that, that initial two years, sort of drew some hypotheses that I subsequently tested in some field experiments with the organization. So why don't you share, you, you have a lot of findings in the book, but maybe you could share one or two of the surprising findings. Um, things that stand out to you that, that either um, contradicted what your expectations were or, or confirmed something that you expected that really runs counter to what you know, the rest of the field, uh, others studying the subject might have expected. What's, what's new and novel yeah. about uh, the findings? So I think that um, one of the things that I found most interesting was that there is this real distinction that I found um, between different models of engagement that these organizations used. And I think that what was surprising about it to me was that I think in, in political science at least, but I think in a lot of academic scholarship, we confuse these two. We, we don't differentiate between them, but they're really different when you look at them in practice. And so what I, differenti- I, call, um, I differentiate them in the book as a difference between mobilizing and organizing. And the difference really is If you think about um, the activist ladder that I described earlier, what mobilizers do is they sort of they just sort of let people self-select onto whatever part of the ladder they want to be on. So I might come to an organization and say, hey, you know what, like I'm willing to get on your email list and get your emails, but I don't want to do anything else. Right. Or I might come and say, gosh, I'm really you know, upset about gun control and I really want to get involved and, and, and put in a lot of time to work on gun control issues in my community. 
And this organ and you know organizations that focus on mobilizing, they pretty much let people self-select wherever they wanted to go. And their strategy for recruiting people when they needed more activists was essentially to cast a wider net, right? And that's where the internet and you know all the sort of um, revolutions in mobilizing that have come along with big data became so important because big data and um, online mobilization gave them much better tools to be able to identify, target, and reach out to a much broader pool of people so that they could find more people who are ready to self-select onto different rungs of the activist ladder. Mm -hmm. Now, the the other model of engagement I found were organizers, right? And these are people who, instead of letting people self-select onto the activist ladder, they would take people wherever they were willing to begin, whether it was the bottom or the, or the top rung of the activist ladder, and then work to transform and cultivate their motivations and skills and capacities for further activism to try to push them further up. So they were engaged in this constant process of trying to um, cultivate activism. And so those organizations were, f- were focused a lot less on casting that wide net um, in the way that I just described, but instead a, a lot more on how can we create experiences for people who want to get involved that want them, that make them want to get involved even more. And so one concrete example that I'll give you about the difference between organizers and mobilizers is that mobilizers, because they just wanted more people to do more stuff, they were focused on asking people to engage in acts of activism that were as quick and easy as possible. Right. So more people will do things if you make it as easy as possible for them to click on this link and send a message to their legislator. Whereas organizers, because they were interested not only in getting people to take action, but also in transforming their interest to take further action, they would structure their ask that forced people to work in, in interpersonally with others. Right. So instead of being able to sit at my computer and click on a link to send a message to my legislator, they would try to structure the ask so that I would have to coordinate and work with somebody else because through those relationships that I built with other people that I would begin to become transformed in the way that they hoped. And so what I found was that the organizations that were um, had the strongest base of activists in my study, they were the organizations that combined both organizing and mobilizing because organizing allowed them to get the depth that they wanted and mobilizing allowed them to get the breath that they needed. It's really interesting findings. And in, in, in reading the book, I, I, I kept thinking um, you know, how much, how much as educators we have, have either passed the buck or, or given up the opportunity to play that transformative role. Mm-hmm. Um, civics education, a mm-hmm. hundred years ago uh, or so, um, probably would have done certain parts of this for people, talked about some of the basics of, of, of government. And, and you just wonder, um, you know, certainly in our political science curriculum at the undergraduate level, um, there are very few opportunities for students to actually learn about how to get involved in any number of issues. And, and you know, not everybody goes to college. Certainly not every uh, person who joins an organization has studied political scientists. But it, it did strike me that just within our discipline uh, that we don't do this very well. We don't spend very much time about trying to show students the ways in which they might uh, get involved if they wanted to get involved. And I imagine these organizations, you know, if you were to ask them why, why, uh, they do it, say, well, you guys, you're not doing it in the colleges. Um, have you, have you thought at all about how this affects 
you know, what you teach, uh, what's taught at your college, um, what could be taught uh, in, in other other universities? Yeah, you know, that's a really, I, I love the link that you're making. Um, I mean, to me, it goes back a lot to be completely wonky about it. <laughs> you know, it goes back a lot mm-hmm. to um, de Tocqueville and John Dewey and, you know, other sort of democratic theorists. You sure. talk a lot about, you know, the kind of civic and democratic spaces within which our capacities for citizenship develop, right? And this gets back to that question I think you asked in the beginning of, well, is, you know, are activists born or made? And another way to think about the way that I'm thinking about activism is that it's basically a function of citizenship, right? This is all about our capacity to advocate for ourselves within our democratic system. And activists are people who, who engage in those kinds of activities more, more than others, basically. And, you know, part of what Tocqueville and Dewey both say is that in order to develop, to learn how to become an active citizen in a democracy like ours, you have to figure out how to um, work with others. You have to sort of understand how your interests are related to the interests of people around you. There are all sorts of motivations and skills that we need to develop. And, you know, it used to be that a lot of those skills were developed in schools and institutions of higher education, and now they've atrophied. And I think part of what a lot of civic organizations that I see nowadays are struggling with is the the same question that you posed about higher education, which is exactly what role do they have in doing the transformative work of building citizens, first of all. And then secondly, if they do want to do it, how do you actually do it? Right? How do you actually do it in this kind of complicated communications environment where there are so many different kind of messages that we're getting all at once. Like, how do you get people to engage in the in the work of, of developing citizens? Yeah, it's a really interesting book. I, I'm sure that uh, for those that are that are listening, um, you're going to go out and you're you're going to get the book uh, because it's such an interesting read. Um, the title again: How Organizations Develop Activists, Civic Associations, and Leadership in the 21st Century. Is published by Oxford University Press and available widely. Ari, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks so much, Heath. I really appreciate it.